So we're going to continue in with our series entitled Weeds or Wheat. Uh, we are kind of looking at the life of David and looking at our growth and our maturity in this process. And we've been doing that. Our main verse has been found in Galatians 6, 7 and 8. And this is what it says. It says, do not be misled. Once again, we talked about this. I don't want us to be misled. There are laws, there are things that God has set into place that are non-negotiable. They're there for a reason. They're there so we can understand them and so we're there so we can live a life that understands them and lives a life that, that gets this. And so we, we're basically told here, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Okay? Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Okay? This isn't a maybe, this isn't a, well, we'll see, this is the situation at hand. This will happen. And basically it's important to understand that. But, and I like this, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So as we plant the things that God wants us to plant, we will harvest the things that God has for us, those good things. But if we plant some, some things that quite honestly are not good, things that are not uh, healthy or bad things in our life, we're going to harvest those things. We're going to find those things are going to come. And as we grow, we need to understand that. But we have to remember this, and again, we're going to talk about this every week. God wants you to grow, and God helps you. To grow. We are not alone in this. We're going to be talking about some things even today that it's going to be possibly easy. And I know, I know it's going to be easy in some ways because I was doing it as I was putting this together this week where I was kind of feeling like, well, I don't do this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here yet. And you know what? That's okay. Okay? It's okay that you, under, that you have those feelings because you know what? God still is going to help you grow. He wants you to grow. He's going to help us in this even though we're not always doing it as perfectly as maybe we wish we were. But in this series, we've been looking at the life of David to understand some of these truths. We've been kind of going through his life and seeing different aspects of his life that help us understand this concept of growth, understand this concept of, of God progressing us and helping us to understand this concept of planning the good things and knowing that therefore God will bring forth that, that, that spirit and that, that everlasting life from the Spirit. So today we're going to kind of jump right in here as soon as I pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. God, I pray that you would just speak through me, that God, that you would anoint my words and that you would communicate um, and that my words would cease and yours would begin. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first thing I want to look at this morning is, is we kind of get, get into our notes here, is this idea of, of his presence in the process. His presence in the process. If you don't know, one of the things that I'll talk about a lot is this idea of Christianity being a journey and a process. We don't just get saved and magically teleport to this place of perfection. It is a journey. It is a process. There's a lot of times people say, well, I don't like Christians because, well, they're hypocrites. And you know what? They're right. We don't always do the things that we're supposed to do. Why is that? Because the sanctification process that God brings us in is not immediate. Salvation is immediate. When we accept Jesus, we are saved in that moment. But the process of being basically turned more and more into Jesus is a process. It takes time. And we go through that. And in this process, we need to remember something very important. 
that sometimes, unfortunately, we can forget, and that is the presence of God. And we're going to look at a story in the life of David where we see this, see this very important part of his story become uh, a, a, a kind of a, it's, it's going to be kind of a weird story to an extent, but a story that we can really learn from. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel, the sixth chapter. Now let me give you a little bit of background where we're at in 2 Samuel 6, okay? Let's go back a chapter. In 2 Samuel 5, David has become king of all of Israel, okay? I'm not going to get into it too much, but there were basically two kingdoms at this time. There was Judah, the kingdom of Judah, and then there was a kingdom of Israel. David has been the king in Judah, and now in 2 Samuel 5, he becomes king over all of Israel, okay? Does that make sense? So now he's king over everything, and so that takes place in that chapter. So when we get to 2 Samuel 6, this is very early on on the reign of King David. Okay, this is the first time we've talked about David where he's actually now king. Okay, God has provided those, those ways. He's done the things and he's brought David to this place like he promised. And so David is very early on in his reign. Okay, and that's where we pick up the story in 2 Samuel 6, with, starting with verse number 5. Now this is important. It says, Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Baal of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadad's house, which was on a hill. Now let me stop there real quickly and let me kind of explain what's going on. Okay, the, and we're, we're going to talk about the Ark of God in just a second. But basically, the Ark of God has been lost way back, I think, in 1 Samuel 5. Don't quote me on that, but in 1 Samuel. They lose the Ark in battle. It goes to the enemy's camp and the enemy's capital. And listen, I, I, I was like, how much should I get into this story? This is one of the best stories in the Bible, okay? And, and we, we've done a series before called Flannel Board Stories. And there's a part of me that does not want to tell you much about this story because I may actually use this story in another Flannel Board story. But it is an amazing story. It's hilarious what happens. But basically, I'm not going to spoil it, but basically some really crazy, funny things happen. And basically the Philistines... The enemy who has the ark put the ark on a cart with a donkey and just say leave and this donkey just they, they just basically point it towards israel and say go get out we don't want this thing anymore and it leaves and guess where it ends up it ends up at abinadad's house and so it's there i believe about 20 years it's been hanging out in this dude's home okay this and we're going to see why this is kind of weird and crazy all at the same time in just a minute okay so that's where it's at so you as an Ohio Abinadad's sons were guiding the cart that carried the Ark of God. Ohio walked in front of the Ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord. Remember, 30,000 people before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourine, castanets, and cymbals, okay? So I want to kind of give you this real quick situation. David, in his basically very early on in his reign, he goes, I want the Ark of God. I'm going to go 
get it. So they head out to Abinadad's house to bring it. He brings 30,000 people with him. They're singing, they're dancing, they're celebrating. This is this massive party. But before we get into exactly what's going on here, we need to ask a question because I found that, that some people, we don't really understand what this really is. And so I'm going to ask the question, and it's in your notes, what is the Ark of God? Okay? Yeah, because here's what I found. Okay? When I talk about the Ark of God or the Ark of the Covenant, you know what I typically find? People's understanding of the Ark came from a movie with Indiana Jones in it. Okay? Now, Here's the thing. Let me explain this to you. You ready? I'm going to be as clear, crystal as mud. It's exactly like that and exactly not like that. That makes sense? You don't want to have the view of the Ark of God based on a movie, okay? Now, here's the, what I mean by that, okay? In the movie, they actually do a fairly good job of kind of recreating what it looks like, okay? Now, what it does you know, melting people's face off, you, okay, you know, that's where we're getting a little crazy. But the Ark of God is very, very important, okay? The Ark of the Covenant is very, very important. Now, in Exodus 25, God basically gives the Israelites the dimensions, how to make it, all these things. If you want your sin to really learn about the Ark of God as far as its construction and things like that, go to Exodus 25. But there's something very important about the Ark that we need to understand, especially for today. And we saw it in 2 Samuel 1 through 5. And that is that God chose to manifest his presence in, on this box that was created. Okay, to a Jewish person at this time, this was the throne of God on earth. It is where his spirit dwelled. Okay, this is major. Okay, if we look, if you go back and look back at what we just read, it basically says this understanding that they, they understand that the, the name of the Lord is on it and he is enthroned between the cherubim. Okay, basically this, the top of it had two angels that were kind of, their wings kind of came up like this. And this is basically where God chose to be. His presence on earth was on this box. So for David to go want this box, he was wanting it because to him it was the presence of God. Now, we have to understand this is a little bit different for us. You see, for us, we live under the new covenant. When Jesus came, the, the, the veil in the temple was torn in two. That separation between God and man was removed. But at this time, there's still that separation. So this is David going, listen, before I really get into this, before I really become king, what I need, what I want is I want God's presence close to me. It is not okay that it's in somebody's house. I need it close to me. He wants to bring it to the capital. But look at Exodus 25 with me. In Exodus 25, 22, we start to begin to see a little bit about this. And this is God speaking to them. God says, I will meet you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the golden cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. So God, in 25 of Exodus, tells them how to make it, but he also says, listen, I am going to be there. My presence is going to hover there. 
And David wanted that. David longed for that. David said, listen, if I'm going to lead this people, I need to know that my God is close. I need to be able to have that closeness to him. Now, I think I want to ask us all a question that we need to really look at this morning. Because we're going to start here. And I just want to ask you a simple question. Please think about this. Please answer this in your own heart. How important is the presence of God to you? How important is God's presence to you? Does it matter? Is it something you think much about? How important really is it? You know, and this is just being honest. And, and you go, well, it's, you know, again, it, maybe it's, you're going, I, I don't know if it really is. Listen, it, it's okay. God wants you to grow. God's going to help you to grow. But this is important that we have these open, honest conversations. How important is the presence of God to you? Look at Psalms 84. In Psalms 84, verse number 10, it says this, For a day in your court, a day in your presence, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of of wickedness. Here's how you answer this question, okay? This may sound simple, but this is how I try to do it in my own life, and I honestly a lot of times come up short, and it's this question, is that statement true of me? Is that statement, I remember when this, a song came out when I was like, I think in college about this, and, and, and I remember singing that song, and I remember God convicting me one time, and basically saying, Aaron, are you singing a lie? Because, oh, it sounds so good. Oh, God, yes. Just one day in your courts is a better than a thousand elsewhere. Because honestly, if I was really being honest with myself, I could go, you know, I could think of some really nice places I'd like to be right now. And again, it's real easy to go, boy, I'm not there. I, 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 Hawaii sounds kind of nice right now, you know. But God wants us to grow and God helps us to grow. So we need to understand that really there is an importance to the presence of God in this process. Okay, now, we're going to look at this story together. We're going to kind of unpack it because there's some really important things to understand as we look at these. So we're going to look at three truths that we need to understand from this story in the life of David. Okay, we've started it. We've, we've started the process of kind of looking at it. We're going to expand on it now. Now, here's what we need to first thing. The first truth we need to understand, we must pursue the presence of God above all else. We must pursue the presence of God above all else. Let's go back to kind of our, 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 our earlier chapter here in 2 Samuel 6. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 and then jump to verse number 5. This is what it said. Again, then David gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Baal of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And now let's jump to verse number five. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. This is an important thing to understand. David is looking at this, and David is bringing 30,000 people. He's, he's putting everything together. Listen, I, I don't know if you don't know this, but John and the worship team don't just show up at 10 o'clock and say, ready, set, go. Let's have worship. 
They put songs together. They practice together. They work together. David puts 30,000 people. This is a process. This is a purpose. He's, he's moving towards something. He's putting all the pieces together. This is a big deal to him. He's pursuing it. It's not like he's just sitting back. Like now he's on the throne and saying, okay, God, I'm ready for you just to bring it all to me. He's actively engaged in bringing forth the presence of God into his heart and into his life and into his world. Listen, this in your notes. The presence of God was so important to David that he had a plan to pursue it. He had a plan to pursue it. Now listen, I know I'm not like everybody, but I am a planner. I like to have my plan and work my plan. I like to have it all laid out. And you know what? To me, I think it's important that we understand the presence of God isn't just something that we fall into, like falling off a boat into a lake. It is a pursuit that we need to take. Now, I'm not saying that God's running from us, and I'm not saying that God's presence isn't all around us. But you know what? Sometimes we got to make some plans. Sometimes we got to be like, you know what? I'm going to get up early, or I'm going to stay up late to make sure that I can spend time with my God. I found this in so many people's lives. I found it in my own life. If we're not willing to pursue and make a plan, a lot of times God, as weird and as silly as this sounds, kind of falls through the cracks. We need a plan. We need to understand that. David here, he puts all the pieces together. He says, I need 30,000. I need the musicians. I need this thing. We're going to put it all together. And off they go to go find the ark. And remember, this isn't just a box to them. This is literally the presence of God on earth. That's what he's seeking. That's what he wants. He doesn't need the gold that the box is made out of. He doesn't need the Ten Commandments that are in the box. He desires the presence of God and is willing to change his movement, his life, to pursue it and to obtain it, which is important. Next, we must have reverence for God. We must have reverence for God. Now, this is where the story takes an interesting turn. And this is where there's a lot of confusion, to be honest with you. And we're going to look at that confusion. We're going to talk about it, okay? But this is an interesting point of this story. Look at 2 Samuel 6, verses 6 and 7. And this is what it says, okay? Now, let's remember what's going on. They're transporting the ark. They put the ark on a brand new cart. And now they're beginning to take it. This is what it says. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark of God. Okay? So they're moving with this. This is a precious item. This is one of the most important items on the planet. This is where God sits, his throne, basically. And as they're going, the ox stumbles and the ark begins to fall off the cart. Okay? When that happens, basically... Yuza reaches out his hand to steady it. He doesn't want it to fall. He doesn't want it to fall. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Yuza, and God struck him dead because of this. So Yuza died right there beside the ark of God. Okay, now, 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 wait a minute. What just happened here? Okay, let's, let's take a step back, okay? This, this is, this is, 
listen, I, okay, maybe this is just, I, you, most people know this about me. I, I like, you know, okay, I, I'll, just, I'll just be honest. I, when I go to Target, I'm the guy that parks a 10 miles away because I don't want a door ding in my car, okay? You get this? Okay, I, I, I don't like things to get messed up, okay? I'm thinking to myself, man, if that thing hits the ground, it's going to get all beat up. It's going to get dented. It's gonna, I would have been used. I would have been the guy who been like, no, we got to keep it nice. we got to make sure it looks perfect. And he does that, and God strikes him dead. And in that moment, I've read this before, you know, even when I was, I remember even when I was a kid going, God, that's not fair. God, that's not really cool of you. God, why would you do that? He was just trying to help. Why would you strike him dead? Let's continue with our story. 2 Samuel 6, 8. David was angry because of the Lord's anger. Had burst out against Yuzah. He named the place Perez Yuzah, which means to burst out against Yuzah. And it's still called that today. So this has a legacy. This place is now called basically this. Let's continue now. 2 Samuel 6, uh, 9 through 10. But now something happens. Okay, David is first angry. And now quickly something changes. And he says, now David is afraid of the Lord. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. Okay, now let's, let's again, let's stop here for a second. Now this fear that David has is not cowering, I'm going to be afraid of God. It's a reverence of God. It is a, oh my goodness, wow of God. So he starts off angry. God, why did you do this? God, how could you do this? And then something changes very quickly in David. What is that? What changes? We don't necessarily, the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us exactly what happens, but I think we can deduce a couple of things by going back to Exodus 25. Okay, now remember, Exodus 25 is where God tells them how to make the ark and all these sort of things. So let's go back to Exodus 25 and see why all of a sudden David has a quick change of heart. Exodus 25, 12 through 15, it says this. This is God telling them how to make the ark. Cast four gold rings and attach them to its four feet. Two rings on each side, okay? Make poles from acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings at the side of the ark to carry it, okay? To carry it. Now, this is important. Verse number 15. These carrying poles must Stay inside the rings. Never remove them. How is David and all these guys transporting the ark? On a cart. What did God specifically say when it comes to carrying and transporting the ark? You're supposed to put poles in it. God even in scripture goes one step further. He says there's only certain tribe the Levites, who can carry the ark. God is very specific. God has his reasons, and he's very specific, because here's what happens. Even though David is trying to do a good thing, even though David's motives are pure, even though Uzzah's motives are pure, he wants to help. He doesn't want the ark to fall. 
they're still working in disobedience. And you may go, you know what? Well, that's harsh. God, that's, that, that's harsh that you would do that. But you know what? I remember in Isaiah where we see that scripture where it says, you know what? My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. It says, as high as the heavens are from the earth, your ways, God's ways, and our ways are not the same. So yeah, it seems that way, but we have to understand they are working in disobedience. And so God responds. This is in your notes, and you need to catch this. God's holiness and standards cannot be compromised, even with good motives. But God, I'm doing this for you. But God, I'm trying to help. Listen, the standards and holiness of God are greater than your best motives. You've got to understand that. You've got to understand that God is not going to lower his standards based on the things that you think God should do or be. I remember being told this when I was young, and I try to remember it, and I fail, but I try to remember it, okay? God is God, and Aaron, you aren't him. God knows what he's doing. And there needs to be a reverence for that. There needs to be an understanding. And listen, again, this is in your notes. You need to understand this. Humility and proper understanding of authority are essential to growth. I used essential on purpose. Because here's what I found. There's people that want to grow, but they want to do it their way. They want to worship their way. They want to read God's word their way. They want to pray their way. They want to make sure that they are the ones who are making all the standards. They are the ones that are basically telling God, God, this is how I'm going to do it. You know what I found in people like that? A alarming rate of non-growth. Because here's the thing you need to understand that we need to understand, that I need to understand. God's plan is better than your plan. God knows what he's doing better than you and I do. And here's the thing. Sometimes we're not going to understand God's plan. Sometimes we're going to step back and be like David and get angry and go, God, why? God, you shouldn't have done that. God, that was too extreme. And then in those moments, we've got to step back like David did and have a spirit of reverence that says, but God, you are God and I am not. You know tomorrow, you know, and your plan will be established. It'll take place and I trust you and I trust your plan. Is that easy? Absolutely not. It's hard. But God will help us. He wants us to grow. He'll help us to grow. But if we, have, we don't have humility, if we don't have a proper understanding of authority, we will have a very hard time growing. We need to understand that. And can I just be honest with you in this? This is something that I truly believe is rampant in the church. There is a serious lack of humility and a serious lack of biblical authority in the church. And I truly believe it is destroying churches. 
It's destroying them. And it's destroying the growth potential of individuals and of churches because of it. We have to have the reverence of God. Even if our motives seem right, we still have to make sure that we are lined up with God's standards, that we're not walking in disobedience, that even though we're going, hey, I'm just trying to get the ark from here to here, that we understand that there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. It's not up to us to make that decision. It's up to follow what God has asked us to do. Because here's the thing. Can I just be honest with you? If they had done it the way God asked them to do it, that place would have never been called that name. But because they did it their way, there was death. We need to understand that. But here's the thing. Here's the final one. We need to understand it. Fullness of life is only found in God. Fullness of life is only found in God. Look, listen, let's, let's see how the story ends, because it really has an amazing ending. 2 Samuel 6, verse number 10. We're going to look through verse number 15. It says, so David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. That's Jerusalem. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom uh, Obed of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Odom-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Odom-Edom and his entire household. Just for a second, just imagine it, okay? You come over, you're going to go visit the guy. Hey, man, how you doing? Whoa! Hey, uh, you did some remodeling. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of moved some rugs over here. I kind of moved some, some pillows over here. And, you know, over here, that's the Ark of God. You know, nothing major. You know, just the Ark of God. And, you know, I mean, can you imagine going to his house and be like, the Ark, yes, it's there. And it's there for three months because David doesn't know what to do. David is so in awe of the power of God. He goes, oh my goodness, we need to think, we, we got to get this figured out. So it stays there for three months in his house, okay? And, and God begins to bless him, okay? He begins to bless him in his household because the presence of God is there. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Odom Edom's household and everything he has because the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps. Okay, now what are we doing now? Who's We've gotten rid of the cart, haven't we? We've gotten rid of the ox. Now we got men carrying the ark. Now we're walking in obedience to what God has asked. After they've done that, and they've gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. This is a celebration. The Bible tells us that David basically is dancing with all of his might before the Lord. There is a fullness in his life because God's presence is there. Listen, we need to 
understand something very simple. We need to understand something that's very elementary to our understanding of life as a whole. If we want the fullness of God that only comes with the presence of God, you can't manufacture it. You can't find it in other things. You can't make sure it happens if you have enough money or you have a car that's nicer than everybody else's. It only comes from God's presence. And our world has spun their wheels for thousands of years trying to place things inside of them that will fulfill that, that longing they have that can only be fulfilled with Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse number 10, Jesus is speaking. We've heard this verse before. The thief comes only to kill, to steal, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Simple, easy statement. If you want to know fullness, you have to know Jesus. There is no other way. Boy, Aaron, that's, that's really definite. That's really black and white. Yes, it is, because that's what God's word has told us. You want the fullness that God has. It will not be fulfilled in anything but the presence and the relationship that Jesus came and died to give us. Nothing else will fulfill. I've always said this, and I believe it's true. We have a God-shaped hole in our hearts that will only be filled by him. That is not a birth defect. That is not a problem. God created us that way. To long for him. To need him. You see, here's the thing we've got to understand from John 10.10. 10. Everything else that we try to put in that hole will kill, steal, and destroy. Everything else. Well, but Aaron, I've put, I've put my wife in that. It will kill, steal, and destroy. But Aaron, I've put my children. It will kill, steal, and destroy. Aaron, that's harsh. Yes, it is. Because I love you enough to tell you the truth. It doesn't mean that you can't have a place in your heart for your, your, your kids and your wife and your husband. Of course you should. But there is a place deep inside of us that was created to be filled only by Jesus Christ. And if we don't understand that, it will kill, steal, and destroy everything else. I am tired of walking around our world and seeing so many people that God loves, that Jesus came and he died for, trying to fill their life with other things. And listen, they may be good things. I'm not saying they're always bad things. But I promise you, no matter how good it is, no matter how pure it is, it will not fit in the hole that was created for Jesus. And it'll kill, steal, and destroy. But when we put Jesus in that place, there is a fullness, there is a peace, there is a joy that God gives that only he can give. David didn't dance before the Lord because 
he thought, boy, if I could just get God's presence, then I'm going to get blessed. We need to understand that blessing here is not the concept that we typically have as blessing. Unfortunately, in our Western mindset, that means, oh, God blessed me. That means my bank account's big. That means I got all the stuff I want. No, blessing is being in God's presence. That is blessing enough. But God is so good and God is so awesome. He doesn't just do that, even though that's more than enough. He gives it overflowing. And David said, I got to have it. I want that. I want to be able to do it. Listen, David doesn't dance before the Lord with all his might until he's in the presence of God. Because he understands there's nothing worth dancing for unless it's Jesus. And when he gets it, everything changes. And there is fullness. There is fullness of life that is only found in him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up real quickly. We're going to close. You know, we, 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 we all want to grow. That's our goal. We, God wants us to grow. He wants us to help us to grow. But you know what? We cannot leave out the most important part of that. And that's the presence of God. And, and I'll be honest with you. Um, I found that in my life and that others, we have a, a, a kind of a... Um, because we live in the new covenant, okay, let me try to explain this. We tend to take the presence of God for granted. We, we, you know, God is always there, okay? We need to understand that. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. But, but you need to understand something. There is difference between being in the same room with someone and actually engaging with them, okay? Actually having, if this will help you, a conversation with them actually sharing life with them you see here's what's here's what we need to understand we can be in the same room we can be in each other's quote-unquote presence and be very very far apart so if you think just because god's everywhere that you you can just kind of check this off your list you're you're, you're sadly mistaken this is more than just simply being in the presence this is allowing being in God's presence to change your heart on a daily, sometimes hourly basis. Are we good at this? Probably not. I know I'm not. I tend to let other things pull my attention away from being in God's presence at times. But here's what's great about this. Because God's everywhere, you don't have to wait till Sunday. You don't have to go find some box that, that God sits on. God's everywhere. God will meet you in your home, in your car, in the woods, on the mountain, in the basement. Wherever you're at, God's there. And at any moment, you can engage the presence of God. And I know that throughout this series, I'm going to talk a lot about things that I feel like is important and I believe everyone that we're sharing is. But this one is a major league one. We need God's presence in our lives. We need it more, hear me here, 
We need it more than our next breath. But we tend to really focus in, going back to the psalm, we tend to focus in on the thousand days elsewhere than the one day in God's presence. But you know what? God can help us. God wants us to be in his presence. God will help us to be in his presence. So no matter where we are on our journey, we can get closer and we can experience him more and more and more and have that fullness of life that Jesus promised. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you right now. And Father, in a world that is just so crazy right now, there's a lot of people saying we need a lot of stuff, a lot of things. They're basically saying, you know, you got that hole in there. You know, if you, if you just got a nicer car, if you just got a, a new spouse, if your kids just did this or they were successful in this area or if you just got the raise, you know, that's going to fill it. And nothing will fill it but you. Your presence. Being with you. Walking this life with you is what we need. And when we sow that time, when we've made that plan and we experience life with you, when we allow your peace and your joy and your love and your grace and your mercy, when we allow those, we plant those things in our life, oh, the harvest that you will bring. But just like in our verse, when we plant things that aren't you, it'll bring forth death, destruction, and just honestly a mess. So Jesus, we can't do this without you. We need you. None of us are where we could be in this area. But God, you want us to grow and you'll help us to grow. So we're asking for your help, knowing that you'll do it. We love you. We thank you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come lead us in a quick closing chorus.
God. You know, David wrote a bunch of songs, okay? And he wrote some amazing songs. But that song we just sang the chorus to, that's David's heart. I bet David's in heaven going, man, I, I should have wrote that. That is good. Because that is a beautiful song. There is nothing like the love of our God. There is nothing. And you know what? We'll never get enough. We will spend all of eternity and we'll never get enough. That's how big it is. That's how great his love is for you and for me. And so, Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us that much. We thank you that you have provided a way where we can be in your presence all the time and experience you. Let us understand you desire your presence to be close to us in this process and never, never walk away from that close, intimate relationship that you have for us. We love you. We thank you. We know you're good and we know you're in control. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen, I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you all for being here. For everybody online, we love you. We miss you. We hope you're doing well. Hope to see you soon when you're ready. We hope you have a wonderful week. I love you all so very much, and we'll talk to you all soon.